Wow. Thank you very much to everyone who worked on the show, our amazing cast and crew. That voice you're hearing right now is Alan Yang. It's from a speech he gave last fall at the Emmys after he and Aziz Ansari, his writing partner, won an Emmy for comedy writing for Master of None, the Netflix show they created together. There's 17 million Asian Americans in this country, and there's 17 million Italian Americans. They have The Godfather, Goodfellas, Rocky, The Sopranos. We got Long Duck Dog, so we got a long way to go. But I know we can get there. I believe in us. It's just going to take a lot of hard work. Asian parents out there, if you could just do me a favor, if just a couple of you get your kids' cameras instead of violins, we'll be all good. So That's who and what? This week on the Code Switch Podcast, a sit-down with Alan Yang. Just in time for the second season of Master of None. I'm Gene Demby, by the way. In recent episodes, we've been pulling some thread on issues of race and representation in popular culture. And that's why we're sort of obsessed with Master of None. That show leans into these big questions. For those of y'all who've never seen Master of None, first of all, get your life. Real quick, it's the story of Dev Shah. He's an Indian-American man in his early 30s. He's trying to find his footing. He's an actor. He's played by Aziz Ansari. Oh, wait, I can't. Sorry, I have a boyfriend. What? Don't worry on that. I like to use it to make friends. No, that's not what it's for. It's a dating app. It's called Love at First Sight. Well, maybe they should make one for friends then. I'm having a hard time sympathizing with this problem. So this season, the show does a bunch of different things. It zooms out a lot. And so we hear from some of the other people in Dev's life. The show also plays with format and storytelling styles. But just like last season, a whole lot of the comedy and drama comes out of issues of race and identity. Shireen is on assignment this week, so we're tagging in a guest host whose job it is to pay attention to this stuff, Lenica Cruz. She writes about culture over at The Atlantic. What's good, Lenica? Thank you for doing this with us. Thanks for having me. So I know you're a fan of the show. Mm-hmm. So what is it about the show that you dig so much? I think what makes Master of None so great is that it has all these characters from different backgrounds mm-hmm. and different races, but it also shades in other aspects of their personalities, too. So these characters get to be full individuals, um, and they can comment on their own unique experiences and disagree with one another, and they don't have to be stand-ins for their entire race, mm-hmm. which I found really refreshing. And it does all of this with a lot of humor and empathy. So what's changed about the way that Asian Americans have been portrayed on TV since 2015, since the show dropped? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So real quick, I want to back up to the year before Master of None came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, ABC had this show called Selfie starring John Cho. John Cho. Yeah. And at the time, it was a pretty big deal. So not only was there an Asian American star, but he was also a romantic lead, Mm -hmm. which is not something you see that often in American pop culture. No. But a couple of months after it debuted... It was canceled due to poor ratings. Yeah, there was a whole, like, save selfie mm-hmm, campaign. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward to 2015, right. um, which a lot of critics saw as a huge year for Asians on TV. In addition to older shows that we already had, like The Mindy Project, um, we also got Fresh Off the Boat, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Dr. Ken, Quantico, and, of course, Master of None. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I should add that all those shows still exist today, which is great. Um, and some of them, including Master of None, actually picked up where Selfie left off um, by daring to cast Asian men in the role of the love interest. And as a side note, that stereotype busting is something we're still seeing in films like The Edge of Seventeen and then the new movie by Kumail Nanjiani, uh, The Big Sick. I'm very excited about this. I want to pick your brain about that movie later. <laughs> I'm really excited about this conversation. After the break, Lenica and I are sitting down with Alan Yang of Master of None. We wanted to do an episode basically about 
You know, in like a Jennifer Aniston movie, she walks into her building and a doorman says, hey, Mrs. Anderson or whatever. <laughs> and then and then she says hi. And then you just never see that character again. It's like, well, that guy has trials and tribulations and, and triumph and tragedy and, and drama and comedy in his life. Stick with us. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Ben & Jerry's, a B Corp committed to using the power of business to advance progressive social change. Since the company's earliest days, Ben & Jerry's has been about a lot more than just euphoric ice cream. Today, they believe that dialogue can bridge differences, promoting a more just and equitable future for all. Join Ben & Jerry's on a journey to better understand issues of race in America and get involved at benjerry.com slash racial justice. Thanks for listening to Code Switch. Check out NPR's Hidden Brain, hosted by Shankar Vedantam. Hidden Brain uses science and storytelling to help you understand the world around you and yourself. Wondering why it's so hard to change your best friend's views? I know I am. Feeling like you're in a bit of a rut and need to get unstuck? Hidden Brain can help you with those questions and plenty of others. Find it now on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Here's a clip from the new season of Master of None. In it, Dev Shah, played by Aziz Ansari, as you know, is on a date with a woman named Priya, played by Tia Sirkar. Can I ask you a question that you might find a little offensive? Mmm, I'm intrigued. Do you just date Indian girls? No, I, I date people of different ethnicities, skin tones. What about you, is it Indian dudes only? No, no, I'll date anyone. Oh, I feel special. <laughs> <laughs> but I did uh, date this white guy once, and then I found out later that he dated four Indian girls before me. What, four? That's fetish territory. That's what I said. But like, where's the line, right? Like, what if a girl dated two Indian dudes? Hmm. Two's okay, but it can't be back to back. Cause then it's like, hmm, fetish is brewing. That was from the new season of Master of None. That episode is called First Date. Joining us now is Alan Yang, who co-created Master of None. What's up, man? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. How are you guys? Pretty good. Awesome. So I want to ask you really quickly about that conversation. That whole like nagging how many of my people have you slept with before <laughs> feeling is a thing that people have to deal with a lot is that something that you guys were cribbing from your own lives or uh yes and no i mean it's a thing that comes up just because there aren't as many asian people and there aren't as many indian people in america as there are white people right so mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it's not like you'll just be playing the odds if someone has dated 20 indian people in a row it seems like that's probably not a coincidence <laughs> and 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 we got to talking about you know being uh, asian on these apps or being black on the apps and yeah, it's fraught with interesting uh, dilemmas. Is is there an ickiness factor, or is it weird if someone's dated too many of your race in a row, or is it okay? And I don't know. I always hate to be too judgmental in those situations because, um, I don't know, you're not in that person's shoes. Yeah, I feel like race and intimacy collide in so many different ways on the show. And I feel like this season in particular, the characters seem to talk about that more explicitly than they did in season one. Was there any like new ground in particular you wanted to cover as a whole, we just wanted to be more ambitious and take more risks and, yes, be more emotional, be more realistic, be more naturalistic, um, be more experimental. So all of these things kind of tied up. But, yeah, we really aspired to greater things this season. I hope we came close. So the show did come in for some criticism last season, mainly around the idea that there weren't enough Asian women in the show romantic or otherwise dev's principal love interest in the first season was a white woman rachel in the writer's room did you guys pay a lot of attention to that criticism no not really you know um i've i've gotten asked about that a little bit and basically i say you know we're just trusting our instincts you know when we're writing if you're trying to respond to every small thing that's said about the show uh i i really 
number one, don't know how to do that. <laughs> and number two, <laughs> I think the show operates best when it's our personal creation. So mm-hmm. the way we made the first season was just, you know, um, let's write from our personal experience and, and trust our guts. Yeah, but it seemed like there actually were more Asian women characters this season, even if you weren't maybe uh, responding directly to the, the criticism, right? Yeah, I think that was pretty organic because mm-hmm. especially in the in the dating episode, um, we wanted to delve into that topic a little bit. And we also uh, thought it was interesting to, to, to get into it with the Diana character played by Condola Rashad, who was in last season mm-hmm. and was really wonderful for us. You know, we did this research and we found out that the people who get responded to the least on the dating apps are... Asian men and black women. And so we're like, let's have that conversation with him and Diana because they also have this funny coincidence where they're both friends and they see each other in their app, which is another funny thing. Uh, But yeah, we want to have that conversation in that episode as well. So I want to shift a little bit to talk about the first episode of the new season. It's this homage to the classic Italian film, Bicycle Thieves. Um, and there was very little mention of race in the episode, but I thought it did something kind of subversive by placing an Indian American man at the center of a black and white mini movie set in an Italian town where no one else looks like him. Um, and you did this again later in the season too. It felt to me like you were playfully rewriting cinematic history, if I can put it in those sort of dramatic terms. Hmm. Um, were you thinking about that at all this season? Maybe not consciously, but maybe that was sort of a small, happy accident. Um, basically, uh, Aziz and I have been watching a ton of these classic movies, these neorealist uh, Italian films. What got you onto this kick? Well, we wanted to shoot in Italy, mm-hmm. and we felt like the the end of last season really, really uh, implied that we'd see Italy at some point. We thought it would be a pretty big yank of the audience to start the first episode with Dev saying, well, I'm back in New York. Wasn't <laughs> Italy fun? <laughs> and just never see any of it. Uh, so we talked about shooting in Italy, and then from that point... Um, it, it spiraled where it's like, well, let's watch some of these films. Let's watch Antonioni. Let's watch Fellini. Let's watch De Sica and get inspired because compared to those guys, we know nothing about filmmaking. So let's learn. Let's learn and let's pay homage and let's steal if necessary. And just by paying homage to those movies and, and, and putting Aziz at the center um, because he's our main character, yeah, it's, it's, that's a juxtaposition that I haven't necessarily seen very often. So, Alan, there's this episode that I really want to talk to you about. It's called New York, I Love You. And so this episode is a series of vignettes, and each of the vignettes in the episode do a similar thing. We start by following this character that's a little bit more conventional to the TV and movies we often see, usually like a quirky white person, let's say. But then in each of these vignettes, the story hangs with these other seemingly peripheral characters, each of whom happens to be a brown person in some service sector job. So a doorman in the lobby of a fancy apartment building, a deaf store clerk, a cab driver. And then the narrative and the camera sticks with them and follows them through their day. Um, I just thought that was really clever. One, because it showed how full their lives were and how their lives were, were full of, you know, like what weird, interesting characters and had their own adventures in their own lives. But they're usually ancillary characters in the kind of shows you see in, like, prestige television, you know? That's exactly it. I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head with everything you were saying. That's basically what we were talking about in the writer's room, where we wanted to do an episode basically about 
you know, in like a Jennifer Aniston movie, she walks into her building and a doorman says, hey, Mrs. Anderson or whatever. <laughs> and, then, and then she says, hi. And then you just never see that character again. It's like, well, that guy has trials and tribulations and, and triumph and tragedy and, and drama and comedy in his life. And, and he gets to say, like, hi, Mrs. Swanson or, or whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, you never see that person again. And so we kind of started from that perspective where every human being on planet Earth is the star of their own show. You know, they all have their own Netflix show. They're all the protagonists <laughs> of their own story, their own movie. And, you know, we felt like we hadn't seen these characters depicted very often in, in movies or TV. And so we really worked as hard as we could to make those stories interesting, compelling, and funny, and and show these characters in love, show their, their family life, their friends, their work. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as possible, just make it as rich as a regular episode of the show. That was a huge risk for us. And, you know, it's scary t- to not have your security blanket of your actors, you mm-hmm. know. And, and a lot of those dudes were not actors. Yeah. You know, the, the main cab driver uh, he was so had funny. never acted before. Yeah, he was really yeah, he's amazing. His name is Enoch Ntekereze, and he uh, he's a refugee from Rwanda. Oh, wow. His family's from Burundi, and he's never acted before. And, and uh, that's something for him to be able to step in and, and carry that story like that. I, lo- I love Enoch. There's another episode uh, this season called Religion, which I sort of thought of as like a spiritual successor to the Parents episode from last season. Um, And in it, Dev grapples with his own ambivalence toward Islam, which is the religion he grew up with. Um, He drinks alcohol. He eats pork. He loves eating pork. He doesn't fast. Um, All the things he knows would upset his more devout mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Um, What were you trying to get across with that episode, whether about religion specifically or like cultural heritage more broadly? When we talked about it, we boiled it down to, man, this episode is really about dealing with your parents, right? It's really about becoming an adult and your parents seeing you as an adult and as a separate person. Look, I get it. For you guys, the religion has this cultural value. It's not like that for me. It's people calling me terrorists and, and getting pulled out of airport security lines. That's because you lost your passport three times. I lost it twice. No, three times. Oh, yeah. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'm really disappointed in you. I'm going to bed. We have this interesting situation where, you know, you just don't see that many Muslim characters in movies and TV, especially not uh, as terrorists. When they're not uh, terrorists. Yeah, exactly. When they're not playing that scary music. Was that shade towards Homeland? No, I'm joking. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's just the vast majority of, of Muslim characters we've seen in the history of pop culture in America, right? So... Um, I always thought that was interesting. And then we started honing in on what the story might actually be. And we grounded it in, as we often do, a personal experience where Aziz had this happen, where he was eating pork but not telling his parents because he was scared, you know. And that's real. That's pretty pretty universal, whether it's eating pork or drinking or, or having sex, mm-hmm. you know. Things you don't tell your parents, but you're doing, right? I talked a lot to Anise, uh, who's a writer on the show, who's Aziz's brother, um, who gave us a good point of reference because he was in the same family. <laughs> so, Because uh, we've all known each other for a long time. You know, I've been friends with Anise for a long time, too. And, and Anise is a little brother, so he's he's younger than Aziz. So, he yeah, he gives him a lot of crap. But uh, it, it's awesome because... Um, you know, that just allows us to be more honest with each other. That familiarity lends itself to an openness and an honesty in the writer's room that I think gets projected into the show. I'm going to try to avoid as many spoilers as possible here, um, but I really wanted to ask you about um, Thanksgiving. It was written by Lena Waithe, who is so good on the show as Denise. She plays Dev's childhood best friend. It's an episode about Denise's mom, who's played by the amazing Angela Bassett, coming to terms with Denise's sexuality. 
And I just want to listen to a scene from the episode in which Denise and Dev are talking about why it's so hard for her to come out to her family. Hey, can I talk to you about something? Yeah, sure. What's up? All right, you know Erica? White Erica or black Erica? Nah, mixed Erica. Oh, yeah, I know mixed Erica. She's cute. Nah, mixed Erica's fine as hell. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I like her. I have a crush on her. Wait, are, are you trying to tell me that you're, you know... Lebanese. Wait, you're from Lebanon? No, I just, I don't know how to, I'm not comfortable with the word, uh, lesbian. All right, so we'll say you're Lebanese. I mean, I always thought there was a good chance. You're the only girl who wore Jordans to the spring fling. So I'm curious, like, when you're writing an episode like that, or, you know, you're writing an episode like Religion, you're sort of turning over the story to someone's very specific experiences. And I'm curious to how you guys have conversations around writing, stuff like that, in a writer's room. You shut up and listen. You listen to the person. Um, yeah, so that episode is very, very much based on Lena's life. And, yeah, she came in and, and we just asked her questions. And so then uh, she went away for a little bit and, and we sat in the writer's room and started talking about what the best way to tell the story was. I think that the word authenticity gets thrown out, you know, a lot and is probably overused at this point. But yeah, as much as possible, like we want to get the real stories, you know, just, you know, for that episode, we wanted to mine Lena's life. And and for, for instance, the New York I Love You episode, which is not about our lives, uh, we did research. We got real stories and we were really inspired by those stories. Yeah. And how do you go about like writing women's characters? Um, Is there like input from actors or sort of can you walk us through that a little bit? We write them as human beings and, uh, <laughs> and draw people. from personal experience from from interactions we've had with uh, females in our own lives. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, no, but we also have a wonderful writing staff. And uh, yes, we definitely get input from um, our writers. You know, they've included uh, Lakshmi Sundaram and, and uh, Sarah Schneider and Leela Strawn and Sarah Peters and Zoe Jarman. And uh, yeah, we always uh, get input from our actors because we like to imbue our characters with whatever the actors bringing to the table. The writer's room on Master of None, is it browner and more female than the writer's rooms you've worked in in the past? Absolutely. Uh, there was a very funny situation. We just hire people we like, right? We hire funny people, interesting people, people we've met with and, and really blow us away. There were times this year when our writer's room had one white guy. <laughs> and I promise you, that is a rarity in writer's rooms, especially comedy writer's rooms. Um, I think the proportion is usually the reverse. Yeah, it's funny because usually when white writers are defending the whiteness of the writers' rooms, the maleness of the writers' room, they say the same thing you just said, which is like, we just, you know, we just look at people we like who blow us away and they end up with a completely different proportions, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, the numbers aren't great out there, especially, you know, especially for Asian writers, Indian writers. Uh, you know, I think up until this show, I never worked with another Asian writer. I mean, in my entire career, I've probably been writing for 10 years or something. Are you serious? You know, that's that wasn't a thing where like we were going out and making the most diverse room possible. No, it was just like we, these people are interesting. We're reading their scripts. They're really funny. They have experience. Um, all of those things came into play. And, and, you know, I think the result was not terrible. So it's kind of I think there's a little, little bit of proof that uh, you don't have to have an all male, all white writers room necessarily. <laughs> So it wasn't that long ago that you were just another young writer in the writer's room. Um, what was it like when you started out initially? And then what would you say has changed since then? Uh, 
It was an unbelievable, lucky, lucky, fortunate gift to start off in the Parks and Rec writers' room. I'll tell that you that. That was your first gig? Um, it was not my first gig. I worked on South Park before that. Okay. Um, but Parks and Rec was the first sort of scripted show where I had a lot of input. Um, and uh, Parks and Rec was an incredibly inclusive place, an optimistic place, uh, uh a cheerful place to work where the writers were really good friends and the cast was really good friends. So, um, you know, I, I feel like our writers really get along well and our cast gets along great. And uh, we try to make the show a fun place to work for, for the cast and the crew. So now you have an Emmy, right? <laughs> yeah. Was your family opposed to you going to show business to begin with? Um, and th- was that like a, okay, now I'm validated by this by this honor or... Yeah, I get asked that. Like, was your parent were your parents against it? Because it is odd, man. I, I was a biology major in college, and I told my parents, you know, I wanted to to move out to LA and 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 be a writer, and I was unemployed. I, you know, basically the plan was I'm going to be broke and unemployed. Right. And <laughs> I told them I wanted to be a writer, and you know, my mom and my dad both just kind of like you know were quiet and just said, yeah, okay. They were just they just said, yeah, we'll drive you out there. You know, <laughs> like we let's let's go look for apartments. And, and that's what's up. So nice. Yeah, my parents are so supportive. I know they were killing themselves inside. I know they, they were they were scared for me. They were anxious. And that doesn't come out of it's not because they're closed minded. It's just because they're, 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 they care about me. You know, right. they want me to be safe. They want me to be secure and they want me to not eat you know, pasta every night, you know, eat ramen every night. Um, my parents are, they've always been supportive and, you know. They're not anxious for you anymore, I right? I think they are okay. <laughs> I think it's not segued into my mom bragging about me. So, yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. All right, before you go, every week we ask our guests to tell us about a song they listen to that is giving them life. I was just recently in France um, with some friends, and we were there for the election. And so I was listening to this song uh, by Jean Moreau, who is a French actress. Um, and this song is called, uh, man, uh, God, I, I, it's in French. So, <laughs> <laughs> J'ai la mémoire qui flanche. So uh, it means I have a fading memory. Um, I've been listening to the song a lot, even before I went to France. Um, I was on this kind of a French music kick, but you know, so I was listening to this this album, which was which, which was a uh, you know um, from the '60s and and just beautiful and, and kind of like lilting and, and and melodic. And so when we went to France, I would make my friends listen to it in the car and stuff. Alan Yang is a comedian and writer. He's one of the creators of Netflix's Master of None. Thank you for rocking with us, man. We appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very, very much enjoyed it. J'ai la mémoire qui flanche. Je me souviens plus très bien de quelle couleur étaient ses yeux. Lenica, thank you so much for rocking with us this week. I'm glad you came in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Chopping it up with us. Lenica Cruz is an associate editor at The Atlantic. She writes about culture for them. That's our show this week. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at NPR Code Switch. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed. Walter Ray Watson, Maria Paz Gutierrez, and Sammy Ennigan produce this episode. A shout out to the rest of the Code Switch fam, my usual co-host and partner in crime, Shireen Marisol-Maraji, Leah Danella, Adrian Florido, Karen Grigsby-Bates, and Katchow. Original music by Ramteen Arablui. Our editor is Jaleka Lantigua-Williams. I'm Gene Demby. Be easy. See ya. 
Hey, it's Guy Raz here, and I am excited to introduce you to my friend Mindy Thomas. She is the co-host of NPR's incredible new podcast for kids. It's called Wow in the World, and every week we'll take you and your kids on amazing adventures through the world of wonder and mystery and imagination. Subscribe to Wow in the World however you get your podcasts. Wow in the world.